Welcome to the Innovation Engine Podcast. I'm Will Sherlin, and today we'll be talking about one of the most important aspects of innovation, ideas. Different approaches to coming up with big ideas, how to select the right ones to act on, how to measure a number of different ideas, and more. To talk about ideas and how they relate to innovation, we're pleased to have on the podcast today Keith Harmeyer, who's the co-author of SmartStorming, the game-changing process for generating bigger, better ideas. Keith and his partner at SmartStorming, Mitchell Ridgey, run a consulting shop that has provided leadership and innovation training to employees at Google, NBC Universal, Diageo, Under Armour, and MIT's Sloan School of Management, among others. Welcome to the podcast, Keith. Thanks, Will. It's good to be here. Thanks for having me. Absolutely. Our pleasure. So let's kick things off with the book, Smart Storming. And the first chapter of the book, which is available for free, by the way, at smartstorming.com, is titled Innovation, the New Darwinism. Can you explain to listeners what you mean by the new Darwinism and how it sets the stage for the rest of the book? Sure, um, absolutely. Uh, when we talk about the new Darwinism, what we really mean here is that, uh, and I, I don't think this is a surprise, uh, certainly not to anybody who would be listening to this podcast, but uh, innovation has really become the new benchmark of success in business. Um, all of the companies that we hold up as the most successful, the ones that we all emulate, wish we could be like, the Apples, the Googles, the Amazons, the Nikes, they're the, the companies that are the most innovative. And I say the new benchmark because um, while some of the folks listening to this podcast, if they're younger or new, you know, newer in their careers, might not even be aware of this, but this demand for innovation, this focus on innovation, is a, a fairly recent development in the business world. Mm -hmm. um, as recently as 15 or 20 years ago, innovation was really the domain of a, of a handful of special companies that worked in very specific areas and came up with these types of of, of, of products and services that were breaking, uh, breaking new ground all the time. But today, that's changed. Every business, every industry is under a continuous demand to innovate, to reinvent themselves, to improve, to offer more for less. Uh, the reason that this is going on is, uh, uh, we could talk about that for hours, but it really has to do with the consumer and how much power uh, is in the hands of the consumer nowadays. Uh, again, not that long ago, consumers were pretty much at the mercy of the companies they did business with. Today, it's just the opposite. Consumers hold all the cards because they have a virtually infinite amount of information at their fingertips 24-7, and so they can find out whatever they need to find out, interact with whomever they would like to interact with at any given time. So um, we always say, uh, the reason we call it the new Darwinism is, today, if, if you don't innovate, you very quickly uh, drift into irrelevance. Right? Consumers will very soon get tired of you and forget who you are and move to someone else. If you don't innovate, someone else will. So um, that's really what it's all about. And the way that relates to the book, and of course you, you sort of referenced in the, in the opening, Will, is that uh, innovation, every innovation that's ever been developed in the history of mankind has at least one thing in common, and that is that it, it began as an idea. Ideas are the seeds of innovation. And today, you need a lot of ideas to stay in the game. We always say uh, companies used to be able to thrive for decades with one great idea. Mm -hmm. And if you think about that, that's really true. Companies would come up with one great idea, and so maybe for generations, they would lead, lead their industries. Today, you need a great idea every year, every season, every month, in some industries, every day. 
So um, this, this constant demand for innovation, for ideas, is really uh, the work that we do in, at SmartStorming. It's helping people learn, helping organizations and teams learn how to generate ideas more efficiently, more effectively, uh, in less time, and higher quality. Okay, good deal. So uh, innovation is a, is a broad enough term that it means different things to different people. When you and Mitchell were writing the book, how did you define innovation? Well, we actually, um, in the book and, uh, and in our training and working with our clients, we, we tend to use a fairly simple and broad definition of innovation, um, simply because we do work with people in a lot of different industries. But um, the, the definition we use is simply that it's um, the introduction of something new or different that provides greater value or benefit. So um, again, pretty simple, um, mm -hmm. but that really sort of encompasses what you need to say. It's new, not necessarily new, could just be different. It could be an adaptation of something or an evolution of something. Um, but I think more importantly, and the thing that we sometimes forget is that it must deliver greater value or benefit. It's not there just for the sake of novelty or just because it's the shiny new thing. Mm -hmm. It's gotta actually improve something for the end user. Okay, so I want to ask you a question on that front, and uh, you mentioned it needs to be something that drives value, and in your first answer, you also mentioned benchmarking innovation. What are some metrics that a company looking to measure or benchmark innovation might look at? Well, you know, I, I, it depends a lot on the industry, Will, so if you're, if you're talking about a company that um, is in the production, product production business, right, mm -hmm. that they actually make a thing, sure. um, those companies are usually looking at looking at sales, looking at market share. Mm -hmm. They want to see when they introduce a product just how quickly it's adopted mm -hmm. um, uh, and, and, again, how much share of market it, could, it can take on. Um, if, you're, if you're talking about companies, we, we do a lot of work with agencies. Uh, you know, my, my partner and I come uh, from the advertising agency world uh, for, for many years. We actually work uh, with a lot of uh, creative and media agencies. Uh, their benchmark is somewhat different. They're not, they're not actually churning out a product. Mm -hmm. um, they're, they're in the service business. So what they're looking for primarily are uh, efficiencies. They want to see if they can come up with ideas um, less painfully <laughs> with, sure. uh, with you know, faster and, and, and expending fewer resources than they might otherwise. Um, and I think even more importantly, they look at business wins. They're always out there competing for business, and they want to see if they can increase their new business uh, uh, hit ratio. So it depends a lot. But I think, I think uh, you know, again, what it really comes back to in the end is that ultimate consumer. And that's what everybody's looking at. Are they pleasing the consumer? Is the consumer sticking around? Is the consumer, s uh, consumer still in love with you and still interested? Or are they starting to lose interest and, and wandering someplace else? Okay. So uh, in, in the book, you cover two very different types of thinking, divergent thinking and convergent thinking. Can you explain what those mean? Sure. And, um, you know, it's funny, when, you, uh, when we speak about it in, in th those terms, it sounds a little academic. Mm -hmm. But I can tell you that um, if we always say this in our training sessions uh, in, in organizations, if there's one concept that someone can take away about how to have successful and effective idea generation sessions, it's this one. When, when we're generating ideas, when we're actually in that creative uh, problem-solving process, our minds tend to go in one of two ways. The first is 
divergent thinking, and just as it, as it sounds, it's thinking expansively. It's thinking outward. We're, we're exploring and searching for new ideas and new directions. This is a great place to be when you're, when you're actually generating ideas. The other direction we go is into convergent thinking. And what that is, is we start to analyze, we start to critique, consider, judge, right? So, and in the typical brainstorming se uh, session, this goes back and forth all the time. A couple of ideas are thrown out. Somebody says, well, you know, I don't know if we could really do that. We probably don't have the money. The client probably wouldn't buy it, right? So we go immediately from divergent thinking to convergent thinking. This is a very inefficient way to generate ideas. Um, the downfall of this is that the team, the group, the individual, if they're doing it to, uh, by themselves, never get to a fully expanded place where they're really exploring all the possibilities because they shut down before they can ever get there. So um, both types of thinking have value, and they're both uh, extremely important. Um, but the point that we make is that while you're generating ideas, while you're trying to come up with that next big game-changing innovation, you want to stay in the place of divergent thinking. This is why most uh, brainstorming experts and specialists, and certainly we do, um, have the rule that uh, we suspend all judgment. You may have heard the phrase, there's no such thing as a bad idea. That's what that really means. While we're generating ideas, nothing is going to be taken off the table. Nothing's going to be shot down. Nothing's going to be removed. We're going to let everything have a chance to breathe and live and see where it takes us. Later, when we've stopped generating ideas and now it's time to decide what do we actually have that we can work with, we switch directions and we become convergent. We start to consider, is this practical? Is this feasible? How can we combine two or more of these ideas to make something each even better? Um, what can we eliminate, right? That's when the judgment starts uh, to come in. So by keeping these two things separate, you are able to devote full attention and full focus to each one of those activities. And that's really the key to understanding that. So uh, again, as you can see, if, you can, if the brainstorm leader, if the brainstorm facilitator can simply be aware of this one thing and make sure that those two processes stay separate, they're going to have a far more effective session. So when you're, when you're first starting out with a brainstorming session, you want to cast a very wide net, essentially, is what you're saying. Exactly right. You want to go as wide as you can. You want people, uh, you know, we, one of our, our favorite expressions is you never know uh, how far you can go until you go too far. So we want people to be audacious. We want people to be wild. We want people to, to throw out ideas that are, that are a little bit crazy. Because if they don't do that, you never get the big game-changing ideas. The, 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 the most innovative ideas in the world very often start off as crazy cockamamie ideas that no one could ever even imagine doing. Yeah. So I want to ask you questions to, to try to paint a picture for, uh, for our audience on, on, what a, on what a successful brainstorming session might look like. So when you, get, when you, get, when you and Mitchell get brought in to work with Company X, mm -hmm. uh, you go in and your sessions are on-site, off-site, or are, they, uh, are, are there giant audiences, small audiences? You have whiteboards, post-it notes. What, is it, what does it look like for us? Those are great questions, and, and the answer is yes. <laughs> so it's pretty much all of the above. The largest, uh, and, and you know, we do we do training. So we actually, you know, we we teach them to fish. We don't just give them fish. Mm -hmm. um, we 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 have uh, several different programs. Uh, the, our sort of flagship program is Smart Storm, start Smart Storming Brainstorm Leadership Training. So we're actually training leaders how to plan and and lead uh, brainstorms. Um, those sessions are almost always on site. Occasionally, clients will. Uh, will 
will hire us to go to an event that's off-site and, uh, and actually do the training. We also do facilitation, um, and that could be uh, on-site or off. The largest group we have uh, facilitated, uh, we actually did some, uh, uh, some sort of light training and facilitation. Largest group was 140 people um, in a ballroom at, a, at an event at the same time all brainstorming on the same challenges, and uh, needless to say, this was a very, very carefully planned and choreographed event. That was for Siemens Corporation a couple of years ago, and um, it went off, it was extremely successful. The smallest group we've ever facilitated was about four or five people. Mm -hmm. um, that was in a small conference room. So it's really, uh, it, it, really it, it really sort of runs the gamut, Will. Um, in terms of what the experience is like, um, and of course it can vary uh, based on the situation, but uh, one of the things we teach, and certainly one of the things we practice, is uh, we follow a very, very specific behind-the-scenes structure. So for the people who are in the room, we want them to have a, a, a seamless, flowing experience from start to finish. The energy stays high, it stays very positive, it's fun, uh, but prior to that session, we've meticulously planned the session. So we know step by step, almost minute to minute, what's going to take place in that room in the session. And that's true whether it's a training session or whether it's a, facil a facilitation. So one of the key elements for brainstorming success, uh, there are three that we, that we focus on. One of them is structure. So we, we teach and we follow a very, very specific six-step process in planning a, a brainstorming session. Um, Beyond that, we have a, a variety. I think uh, in our portfolio, we have probably nearly 40 different idea generation techniques. These are, these are different types of, of games, exercises that you can use with groups to help them think in new and different ways, H help them to explore directions that they might not if they were just um, casually free associating. So uh, we always use a variety of those techniques, and we teach a variety of them in the training. Um, in our book, we have instructions for 20 different techniques. Uh, so it's, it's a, it, we, there's actually a, a big range of these. And some of them are ideal for generating a lot of ideas in a very short time frame. Some of them are great for exploring viewpoints and perspectives. Some of them are great for challenging limiting beliefs and assumptions. They all have different, uh, different strengths and, and different applications. Um, the other thing that we teach, and, and uh, certainly I hope that we, uh, that we uh, apply, are very specific leadership skills. In order to stand up in, in front of a group of 6, 8, 10, 12, 15, 140 people and effectively um, have them work collaboratively towards a common goal requires a certain amount of skills of, of, of facilitation and leadership. And so those are sort of those three elements I talked about, structure, techniques, and uh, leadership. And hopefully that gives you that gives you an idea in terms of what types of techniques we use. It it, it just varies depending on the the challenge and the organization we're working with and uh, that sort of thing. Okay, so in the in there's a white paper on the Smart Storming site: Seven Secrets for Supercharging Your Brainstorms, uh, and you cover some of the material that you just went over. Uh, and, and there are a few, few different styles, as you mentioned, things like idea sprinting, brain writing, uh, bad to good. So there are 20 of these in the book. Uh, do you have a, a favorite among them? And if so, which one is it? You know, it is interesting. And, and as I said, we, um, we have 20 in the book. We, we have about 40 that we select from. 
uh, at this point. We create new ones all the time, by the way. So we, uh, some of the ones that are in the book are sort of the tried and true uh, standards that, that a lot of people know, things like mind mapping. Um, we have our, our own version of SWOT analysis that's a little more expanded, and uh, a lot of people know what that is. Um, but we, we create new ones all the time. Um, in terms of favorites, I think individuals sort of uh, have their favorites. Mitchell has a few that he likes uh, more than I do, and I have some that I like. But there's one technique in particular that I, um, that I use a lot and uh, find remarkably effective, and I'll, I'll uh, share it with you. It's called brain writing. Um, it's a deceptively simple technique that's extremely, uh, extremely effective. And, and, it's, and it's, uh, it's very simple. Basically, you present the challenge to the group. You, uh, if you have a large group, you break them into smaller groups of no more than about uh, eight. Ideal would be five or six. Um, and, and it's a silent writing technique. Instead of um, verbalizing ideas, everybody writes an idea down on a sheet of paper. And then once they've written the idea down to solve the challenge, Everyone passes their paper to the left in a circle. You read what's on the paper, see what it inspires, how could you add to it, how could you make it better, how could you uh, actually even if, if you're inspired by a completely different idea, you write that down on the paper, once again pass it to the side. So uh, it's basically sort of a round robin. All the papers go around the circle until they get back to the original owner. If you have five uh, people in the circle, by the time you get your sh sheet back, you have five ideas on that sheet, all contributions uh, by each person in the group. Um, you have five people in the group times five ideas. You've got 25 ideas. This can take maybe 10 to 15 minutes, and suddenly you have 25 fresh ideas. Um, it's also a great way to level the playing field because there's no debate, there's no argument, there's no discussion. Everybody's writing silently on their own. So everyone has an equal voice in, uh, in, in sharing their ideas super uh, t uh, technique and very effective. I use it all the time. Okay, so it's like a, almost like a game of written telephone? Exactly, yeah. Okay, good deal. Uh, yeah, there's, there, are, there are actually a couple of techniques, but one in particular we hear back uh, a, about a lot is, is sort of a first cousin to brain writing. It's called group graffiti, um, and very much like it sounds, uh, we, we basically paper a wall with white paper, we use post-it uh, easel pad notes, so the large post-it notes, uh, and basically create a, a big wall of white space. We present the challenge and then just ask everyone to spontaneously and randomly go up and start adding ideas to the wall. And also, of course, to read what other people are writing and add to it, expand on it, uh, that sort of thing. It's it's a, a lot of fun. It's a great way to get people literally up, you know, on their feet, thinking on their feet. Um, so it's, we use it a lot, like right after lunch. Uh, but it's but it's it's great. And we don't stop until the wall is filled with ideas. And then uh, after that, we then go with the group and sort of intuitively select the ideas that are up there that they think are the best. So um, so people uh, will go and put an asterisk or a star next to their favorite ideas. So yeah, clients like this a lot. Um, again, it's another one that sort of levels the playing field. They can use it with their clients or their um, their customers if, if they have meetings that, uh, that include folks from the outside. Very effective and fun technique. Okay, and it sounds like a perfect example of going from divergent thinking to convergent thinking once you get all the ideas out on the page and then you go through and select which ones you think are best. 
Exactly right, Will. Um, one of the things, by the way, um, it, it's it's not an exaggeration that a that a well planned and facilitated session uh, can result in dozens, sometimes hundreds, literally, of ideas um, if you follow these sort of processes. So, right, if we're keeping the divergent thinking uh, uh, separate from the convergent. So, one thing we we actually do allow a little bit of convergent thinking in there. Uh, one of the things that we recommend is that folks harvest ideas along the way. So let's say we do a brain writing. After the, at the end of the brain writing exercise, if you have two or three groups, you could have literally 75, 80 ideas. Um, you sort of select out, just using intuition and, and, and best judgment, those top of the, those ones that sort of rise uh, to the top for the group and separate those out. We create what we call an idea bank on the wall. So we put a, a piece of paper on the wall and just take the four, five, six ideas that came out of that exercise and put it aside, then go to another exercise. We do a group graffiti, same thing. Call out the five or six ideas from that that seem the best. We never throw away the other stuff, but that way at the end of the session, instead of 200 ideas that we have to sift through and figure out what's going to work, have a, we have a short list of, of maybe a dozen or 15 ideas that we can work with. So are there any, any things that you can publicly talk about that you're particularly proud of that have come about as a result of a smart storming session? Um, I, you know, I, 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 don't, I, 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 can't talk <laughs> I can't talk about specific outcomes but because we do typically sign NDAs, sure. uh, that sort of thing. But, um, but, I'm, I, but I can say that we have clients um, – who report back significant increases in their in their new business win ratios in the in the agency world and client retention that they have clients who are coming to them and saying that they're much happier with the ideas they're getting this is obviously like in the agency world mm -hmm. we have worked with uh, with product focused companies um, who who are uh, who have actually brought us in to help them develop their upcoming. Uh, product lines. Um, and some of these companies are pretty successful. So, um, so knowing that the process is helping them uh, to, to do that sort of thing is, is kind of gratifying. Um, and actually, w one, of the, one of the things we're most, uh, we're proudest of is that we, we actually delivered smart storming training to a group of um, MBA candidates at, uh, at MIT Sloan School of Management a uh, year before last. Um, so that was that was really gratifying to have these like super 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 smart uh, MBA candidates. I mean these ki these kids were like remarkable um, that that are out there in the world now uh, with their with their MIT MBAs and uh, and some of them we expect are using our our methodology. So okay, good deal. So uh, a question for you, and and I know that you're not at liberty to talk about some things that you do. But uh, Fast Company came out this week, and uh, I'm not sure if you've seen it, but it's their list of the 50 most innovative companies in the world. Uh, and number one is a, a client that you've done work for, Google. Mm -hmm. So uh, how intimidating is it when you get tabbed by a company like Google who has invented Google Glass and self-driving cars and you know uh, all kinds of fantastic things or crazy things, depending on your perspective, coming out of their X-Lab? Uh, what can you? What can at the risk of of sounding uh, like a jerk? What can you teach them about innovation that they don't already well, know? Well, <laughs> first of all, let me let me tell you that it was really exciting um, to uh, to to do some work with Google and to go and in, go into their offices. We actually worked with them um, at their in their building in New York City. Um, everybody uh, at Google is is like twelve years old, <laughs> which, which was pretty pretty uh, uh, intimidating in itself. Um, 
super smart, super focused. Um, we actually, you know, I, I would love to tell you that we were working with the folks in, in, in the product development area. We actually were working more in their, in their uh, sales and marketing division mm -hmm. uh, with those folks. Um, nonetheless, the atmosphere is what it is. These are, these are like super, super focused, uh, very intelligent, uh, very, very productive. Uh, you know, no one goes anywhere in that building without their laptop in their hand. Um, and, and wherever they light, the, the lids are up and they're, and they're working. So, um, so it was pretty cool. We actually worked, uh, we, we had a, a, a live and remote session. We worked with people live in New York, and then we had folks on the West Coast that were uh, calling in uh, via video conferencing. And we actually worked with them on some, some new um, advertising and marketing products that they could, that they could uh, roll out to their customers. And also we worked with them. You know, something, the point we make all the time, it's very easy to think about doing this kind of stuff around product development services, but it works equally well for business processes. And that's one of the things we worked with them on, how to make their internal processes of, of work, workflow and collaboration more efficient and more effective. So, um, so it, it, was, uh, it, was, it was obviously cool being in that environment. Um, and like I said, I wish I could tell you that we, we facilitated sessions that led to, the, uh, to Google Glasses, but uh, <laughs> we didn't. <laughs> well, fair, fair enough. That would yeah. be uh, that would be a pretty stellar uh, feather in your cap for a two-man <laughs> operation, helping Google out with their uh, with their own product development. Exactly. So, is, is there anything that uh, that's top of mind for you, Keith, that you feel like our listeners can benefit from when they are looking to come up with that next game-changing idea that can really help uh, move their business forward? One of the things that we've learned in our work, Will, that we find remarkable, and we had no idea. Um, remember, we came from this world where we were called upon to generate ideas on a daily basis. Um, we participated, my partner and I uh, collectively have participated in thousands, literally thousands of brainstorming sessions um, in our careers. Um, what we've come to learn through our own research of, at this point, I would think close to 2,000 people in a variety of industries, is that um, about 95% of the people who lead brainstorms in any industry have had absolutely no um, education or training in how to do it effectively. So the result of that, um, if any, anybody who sat through any number of brainstorming sessions will, will confirm this, the result of that are some fairly dysfunctional and disappointing brainstorming sessions. Um, that's the other survey we do, is how many people um, really love brainstorming, how many people have been in really bad brainstorms, and it's pretty much unanimous. People agree that brainstorms, as typically uh, facilitated, are pretty bad. So, um, again, we think this is a result of this fairly rapid uh, change in the demand for ideas and innovation. We have clients, by the way, who, who aren't from the technology world. They're, you know... Uh, media agencies who never had to generate great creative ideas, uh, even as, as recently as 10 years ago. Now their clients want new, new thinking. They want to do things that no one's ever done in the media space, right? These people are having to do something they never did before. So I, I guess the thing that I would share is if you're in a business 
and, and if your role in that organization is to generate ideas or to lead others in, in idea generation and in developing new ideas, learn a little bit about how to do it, right? We all learn how to use Microsoft Word. Uh, we, we all learn a little bit of, uh, at least a little bit of Photoshop so that we can, we can uh, put funny pictures on Facebook. <laughs> uh, we all learn how to use Facebook. Learn a little bit about how to plan and lead an effective brainstorming session, even a, even a little bit. You don't have to become an expert necessarily, but I guarantee you, it's it, th most people are so ill-equipped to do it that even the slightest effort will will return massive uh, results. So that, I think that's the thing I would encourage people to do. Go online, Google uh, brainstorming techniques, uh, buy our book um, and and learn that. Uh, you know, go to our our website, read some of our blogs. Uh, the 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 white paper you uh, you mentioned, the seven secrets. That's a free download uh, for people at our website. Uh, there there are resources out there that can help you. Just take a few minutes to think about what you're going to do in that room and how you're going to make it more effective than the typical brainstorm where everybody goes in and sits. A couple of people throw out ideas and and basically not much happens. So that would be the thing that I would encourage folks to do. This is this has become a critically important business process. It's not just a casual thing we do every once in a while. It's a very important process. This is the lifeblood of business today. Okay, so I've, I've got a very important question for you. Mm -hmm. uh, one of your clients at Smart Storming is Under Armour. <laughs> and they've been in the news recently uh, with the Sochi Olympics and the – uh, and the suits that they made custom for the U.S. speed skating team uh, have been cited as the reason that we're losing to the Dutch in every race. Can well, we blame you and Mitchell for this? Well, <laughs> I will. I will. Uh, I, as I as I uh, said about uh, about Google. Um, Obviously, we can't share specifics about what we did at Under Armour, and uh, at Under Armour in particular, we signed we signed a very uh, voluminous uh, NDA. Um, it was it was many pages long. But um, first of all, let me say this: Under Armour is a remarkable innovation-focused company. Um, we we did quite a bit of work with them a while back, and spent a. a, a a fair amount of time at their headquarters um, in Baltimore, and the company really is talk about a dynamic environment. These these people, um, in fact, the point was made uh, to us by a marketing consultant we were uh, sort of collaborating with at that time over there that Under Armour is not a sports apparel uh, organization; it is an innovation organization. So the company is constantly pushing the edge. Um, I will tell you that there was no discussion of speed skating suits during any of the sessions that we <laughs> that we held. We were we were working with them on, more on the consumer uh, uh, product side of the of the business, but um, but so no, we didn't we didn't have anything to do with the Sochi uh, uh, garments. But um, I have no doubt that uh, that this will be course corrected and dealt with, and Under Armour will continue to thrive. <laughs> All right. Well, we'll we'll let you off the hook on that one, uh, Keith. Thanks so much for coming on the program, uh, Keith Harmeyer from Smart Storming. He's the co-author of Smart Storming: The Game-Changing Process for Generating Bigger, Better Ideas, along with Mitchell Ridgey. You can find out more at smartstorming.com. You can also download for free the white paper that we referenced, Seven Secrets for Supercharging Your Brainstorms. Keith, thanks so much for joining us. Thank you, Will. I enjoyed it. All right. Take care. Take care. All right. That's going to be a wrap on this week's episode. Thanks so much for joining us. Please be sure to tune in next week when we'll delve into the world of physical product innovation for the first time. We'll be joined by John Fawcett of Fuse Chicken and Fawcett Design. 
and he'll be talking about how crowdsourcing sites like Kickstarter are a new form of market research, how you can test physical products before launching at scale, and how agile software development methodologies can be applied to building physical products as well. Thanks again for joining us, and we'll see you next week.